you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria, in a place that not a lot of Jews would dare to go to, a neighborhood that really nobody wanted to be around, around people that they thought were less than them in a hundred different ways. And he comes here to not the most upstanding members of the society in Samaria. He came to a, a woman that has gone from man to man to man, who doesn't even have the courage to go out and with the other women to, to the well, is there in the middle of the day. And Jesus, in his weariness, sits down. And it's interesting that what he does is he, he said that if she were to ask him, he would give her living water. That if, he, if she were to know the gift of God and know who it was that she was speaking to, that he would, she would ask him and he would give her living water. And this living water we saw last week was himself. That Jesus comes to us. He comes to us unin uninvited often. Certainly not prepared for. This lady was not prepared to meet Jesus. Any more than Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was prepared to meet Jesus. And Jesus comes into her life arresting her and stops her in her tracks and even though that it was against all conventions, he speaks to her, and she, she is amazed, and she asks for this water. Will you give me this water? And then he tells her, essentially, that this water is himself. Now, that was kind of a cliffhanger, because the real action hasn't even started yet. We're going to see that, that as she goes further, that he does not mince words. He doesn't, he's not particularly he's the kindest being in the universe always Jesus is never unkind but Jesus can cut to the quick and we'll see that many of the uh, of his comments are so much braver than mine have ever been I'm too scared I'm too afraid of offending people and Jesus wasn't and Jesus basically just says something so strong and so so quick that it takes her by surprise. It, it slaps her in the face. And we'll, we'll look at that today. And sometimes God needs to slap me in the face. He absolutely does. And I thank God for it. So let's read together, starting in verse 7. We're in chapter 4 of John, verses 7 through 26. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it was that saith to thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence thou hast that this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank of it himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
The woman saith unto her, him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither have to come to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he to whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou sayest truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak to thee am he. What he did not say to Nicodemus, he said to this woman. What we've not seen anybody's testimony yet was Jesus' testimony. Remember, John is telling us that this is God Almighty, our creator, that this man is to whom we will bow. And in order to tell me something so amazing that this man that lived such a long time ago is my creator, you have to convince me of that. You can't just tell me something so amazing. You have to convince me. And so John is attempting to give evidence, like a lawyer in a courtroom, giving evidence one piece at a time, at a time, at a time, at a time, so that the jury can look at it and study it, and if they're reasonable, draw a conclusion. And he expects that they will draw their most reasonable conclusion in that there is no other explanation but that Jesus is God. And that's what he's claiming. Here's Jesus's testimony. I am he. I am the son of David. I am God Almighty. I am the one that was to come. I'm the one that will make all things new. And he tells this woman who doesn't even have a name in the Bible, there are a thousand Hebrew names in the Bible that you trip over every time you read, and this woman doesn't even get one. She doesn't even have a name. She's just the woman who's sitting at somebody else's well because nobody likes her. And Jesus is calling her to her sin. Now, when you think that he is the one who is coming and that he is coming in order to die for us, and we've already seen this picture. We saw it when they were at the wedding, and he filled the purification jars with blood. He filled it with wine, to a picture of his blood, that that is how you will be right with God. You'll be accepted before God because I am going to die for you. 
And, and he, that is how he intends to provide. That's how he intends to be the Christ. This woman who said, when the Christ will come, he, he will explain all things to us. And, and Jesus said, you're talking to him. You're talking to him. Now, that has to stop you in your tracks. That's intended to stop you in your tracks. You're, you, should, you should gasp for breath and stop right there. Because that needs to be considered. That needs to be thought about. Because if what this is saying is true, then it changes everything. Everything, everything. It changes everything for me. It changes everything for what I do today. It changes everything for you. It changes everything from your past to your present to your future. Everything is changed. So Jesus doesn't go with this idea. So you you have to realize she is changing the subject over and over again. We're going to see at least twice today, and once, once next week, she's going to change the subject. She doesn't want to talk about the things that Jesus wants to talk about. And so I don't know if you've ever known anybody with that kind of a nervous energy that just kind of wants to fill the space. It's too quiet. It's too intense. So you need to talk. But that's what she did. She wanted to change the subject. But Jesus just puts his finger on the sorest spot in her heart and just pokes and leaves it there. And you think, this is our God who's kind? This is the kind Jesus? And I'm going to tell you that the Bible says yes. That the kindest thing that God could do is leave his finger there for 25 years until I deal with it. And when I deal with it, he can show me mercy. He can show me grace. He can use what he did on the cross for me because he is dealing with reality. He's not dealing with fantasy. He's, he doesn't deal with people the way I deal with people. I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to invade in their privacy. I want, to, I want them to, to not be uncomfortable. And God is not so careful with my comfort. If my comfort is to rip me out of a fire, then he will rip me out of a fire. And he's not caring about my comfort. So when I look at people who are escaped from prison and they, they pull themselves through the briars to get to my house, I don't cry about their boo-boos. And, and God, who is looking at me as a convicted criminal, who he will judge, my life is a, is a wreck. My life is a train wreck. My sins have hurt me in every imaginable way. My sins have cost me my time. My sins have cost me my talents. My sins have cost me relationships. My sins have cost me everything that is good in my life. And God knows that pain. But God would rather deal with the real problem. And that's the real problem that I have offended him and I'm separated from him. And that he, as my Savior, must bring me to that point where I am willing to be saved. And I come to him as Savior, and then he accepts me. If you come to Jesus as Savior, he will never reject you. You can, you can absolutely take that to the bank. He will never reject you. But if you do not come to him as Savior, there is no application, and there is nothing for you except to have your boo-boos until you die and go to hell. And that, that is a despised message. It's a despised message in this world. But I promise, I'm giving you the gospel. The gospel is that God wants to 
save your soul. He wants to save you. You are in peril, and he needs to save you, but he needs to bring you to a point that he saves you. And he sat down on that well, weary, and it and looked straight into her soul. He knew she was without a friend. She knew he knew that she was abused at every point. She he knew, and I'm sure that the compassion of the great God towards a fallen person is is greater than any man could ever look. You could not look at a person and show compassion as God. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. But the kindest thing that he ever did was say, go call your husband and come back. Now you think, hmm, God Almighty who knew everything knew she was not married. But he said, go call your husband. Why? Because that's what she needed to hear. She needed to hear that. Okay, because she was okay with the rest of her town despising her. She, she started living in that way. It was okay. She, she, it was fine that she didn't have any friends. Okay, so nobody comes to me. I never, never invited anywhere. Nobody loves me. I don't care. I, whatever. It's my life. And you just live your life the way you live your life, and it's okay. I can deal with it. But he calls her to something. It's almost like that he didn't know. Go call your husband as though somehow he thought, she, he thought that she had a husband, and she, she doesn't even say anything. She just stops and says, I have no husband. She wanted it ended right there. She just wanted to end it right there. She didn't lie, I have no husband. She just wanted it to be dropped. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And a hundred thousand times, like, go away. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. But he pursues us. He comes to us. And he comes to us with what we need. And he puts his finger on what we need. And then he shows us mercy. He intends to win this woman. This woman, from before eternity, was his. And he watched as she struggled. He watched as she grew up in a wonky kind of halfway religion with every imaginable flavor from everywhere else, knowing nothing, knowing no truth, having no confidence, knowing not who to ask, not knowing what the gift of God or who she was talking about or even what to ask when she got to him. She knew nothing. She was unprepared. Shame on the people who taught her. Shame on the people who don't teach people that they need God. Shame on them. And there is shame on them. And shame on the life that that person has to lead when they are just going from one broken thing to another broken thing, trying to make the best out of their life that they can. With God watching, knowing what they are and knowing what he wants from them. But God is no impotent God. God is not a, oh, I wish you would just do this, or if you would just do this, things would be better. God is no therapist of mine. God does not help me in my help. He's not a self-help book. He is a savior to me. He is the one who made me. He's the one who can hold me accountable. He is the one who has the right to rule me. 
And as I am, am a traitor and treacherous in every one of my actions, he has the right to grab me by the ear and do with me as he pleases. But in love, because the God that we have is the God who he is, he is not the God who will simply destroy me as he should, but he's the God who will pursue me and woo me and win me. And when I am one, I'm completely his. I promise you every day for the rest of eternity, you will love God more if you are a Christian. If your soul is saved, you will never be bored. You will love him with more intensity and more intensity and more intensity, more knowledge of what you've been saved from, more knowledge of who it is that saved you, more knowledge of his worth. Worship, a worship service is not to God. A worship service is telling our souls who God is. A worship service is so that we are fit for his service because worship is how much worth he has. And if I don't know who, what his worth is, if I'm completely, completely ignorant of what his worth is, then I give him no worth. I give him no worth in my life. I give him no worth in my day. I give him no worth in my mind. I give him no worth with my money. I give him no worth with anything that I do. But the more I know about this God, the more I say, worthy, worthy. You're worthy to ask me anything. You're worthy to put me through anything. I will not hate you for putting me through something hard. I only adore you and wish that I could know you more. Oh, for grace to love him more. That is what a Christian heart is. This lady is like frozen in time. He looks right at her and says, go get your husband and come back. And she's breathtaking. Like, it's just a guy. It's a Jew who, first of all, would he, why would he even talk to me? And then for him to look straight at me, and I know that he knows I have no husband. She's just stopped in her tracks. It's like time just stops around her. She's in a warp. And it's a crisis moment. Now, immediately, she does what every human, she just says, I have no husband, as though I can spin it in such a way, maybe he'll leave me alone. Maybe he'll go away. But Jesus just stops. There's no more. The, the, the sentence ends with a period, and she just stares. I have no husband. And then he says, oh, that's the truth. You're telling the truth. Do you see the Bible has two revelations? The Bible reveals God. The Bible tells us who he is. It requires the Bible to do it. it he must be self-disclosing. God must tell us who he is. I can't just guess. I can't make, all of us have, the, have great imaginations and fallen. Every one of our imaginations are fallen. Our vision is bad. So, so you take the picture and you think that the picture is good and the camera is good, so the picture is going to be good, but if your eyes are bad, the picture is all out of focus. And I have an entire album full of out-of-focus wedding pictures because the photographer was nearsighted and didn't know it. I just think that's funny. It's like, it was like testimony A for the human race. Testimony A, you could put that on the, in the front of the courtroom and just say, any questions? That's how we are. That's exactly. So the Bible tells us about God, but the Bible also tells us about the reader. Whoever's reading the Bible, 
the Bible will tell them about themselves. And when it happens, and it will happen, uh, so many people do not want to read the Bible because they're too afraid of what they'll see. They don't want to do it. It's not that they're going to trip over Hebrew names. It's not going to because city names are irrelevant and whatever. It's because when God says what God says clear as a bell, and I don't want to know it, I'm afraid of it. So I don't want to read it. So if I, as long as I can kind of stay ignorant, I can claim somehow that it's not my fault. It's too bad. Claim what you want. Claim as you please. But the Bible reveals me. As I read it, God himself is behind that page, and he tells me who I am. And yes, I'm called sinner in the Bible, but I'm also called whosoever. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, I'm a sinner, but yes, I am whosoever believeth in him. So no one is ever knows God until they know themselves. You see, it has to happen at the same time. When I know myself, when I know what God is, and that comes together in an instant, suddenly now I'm undone. I'm like Isaiah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. God is real. God is God, and I am in trouble. That is the time that God can be your Savior. That's the moment that God can be your Savior. He pulls you to that moment, that critical crisis moment, and it's the kindest thing that was ever done to you in your life. Every sweetie pie talks about the weather because they don't want to offend you because you're outrageous in how you act and what you do and what you stand for, and everything about you is contrary to God's will, and instead of hurting your feelings, they just let it go. And God doesn't. God doesn't. God will simply look at you in the sweetest, kindest face that's ever existed and look at you and say, go call your husband and come back to me. And he'll just put his finger there and wait. You see, Jesus said in other places, this is in Mark 2, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call the sick. If the sick know they're sick, then they'll come to the physician. But until they know they're sick, they will never come. So you have to get lost before you get saved. You have to get lost first. And if you're not lost and if you've never been lost, if you're simply a victim or you're a good person or you try real hard or whatever it is, we can displease God in a million different ways, then God didn't come for you. And do your best, because that's all you're going to have is your best. That's all you're going to have. But if you know that you're sick, and you truly know you're sick, then you will break your, suddenly everything about your life will go completely nuts, and you will stop what you do, and every priority will flip, and everything you had planned will be stopped, and you will go and do those things necessary for your treatment because you know you're sick, you're convinced of it, and you'll do something about it. And that is, that's what you need. So this lady basically knows that her thoughts and actions have been exposed. Now, she says in a minute, I can see you're a prophet. Okay, so she's... Selling, telling the truth. I can tell you're a prophet because you're looking right into my soul. You're telling me who I am. You're telling me what I am. You're telling me everything I've ever done. You know 
that I've had five husbands? Five husbands in a time where, how do you have five husbands? Now this was, a, this was not the most conservative street on the block, but you know, Samaria was kind of anybody's game. You could do as you pleased. But even there, she, was, she couldn't even have a friend. She had nobody to have coffee with, even there, because she was immoral and she was essentially a red lady. This is from Galatians chapter 3. Scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise of be, by faith of Jesus Christ might be given unto them that believe. Every single person in the whole world has been condemned as a sinner so that life will be given to those who are trusting God to be their Savior. If you trust God to be your Savior and you are not trying to be your own Savior, then God will save you. That is as simple as it can be. The gospel can be accepted by a five-year-old and has been to their salvation, truly, truly. It's not that it's so sophisticated that it can't be comprehended. It's just that when you resist it, when your heart is hardened and continually to be hardened, you will do anything with, without turning. You will not turn. This is Psalm 143. Don't enter into judgment with your servant. This is, this is David praying. For in your sight shall no man living be justified. When you judge us, not one person in the world will, be, will come out saying, oh, this person has the right to ask me something. This person has the right to come where I live and be with me. There's not one person. Because all of us are under sin, all of us can look straight into each other's eyes. Do you understand? What if I was under sin but you were not? What if I were under sin and you were not? I couldn't even look at your shoes. I would have my head to the ground. I wouldn't be able to look at you. You would be like a mythical character that couldn't ever be approached. That you would actually be clean and I would not be clean. And I'm like trying to tell you like a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. They've got bread over there. I'm a beggar too, just like you. Do you see it? Because we're all together, we can love each other appropriately. Because every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are sinners. We are Christian sinners. We're saved sinners. And we will sin against each other, I promise. I promise. If I've never sinned against you, I will. I promise. It's just going to happen. When we all are in the same boat, we now can look at each other equally and realize that God came to save us. That's good news. And it's, it's spreadable. It's something that really does spread. If you think that other people are good and I don't want to bother them or I certainly don't want to offend them and I don't want them to think I'm bad and I don't want them to think that somehow I'm looking down my holy nose at them, suddenly you'll be stopped in your tracks. You're not free. You're not, you're not brave and you're not loving. But if you consider yourself to be a sinner, as God has said you are, but that you can come to a Savior and you do, suddenly your heart is free. That person is an evangelist. That person is powerful. That person's life has been changed. That's power. And the Holy Spirit uses that person continuously. So she was a moral outcast. And she had to repent. She was a moral outcast. And, and Jesus said, co-call your husband because what he was accusing her of was adultery and being a loose, just a loose woman. 
This was John 3. We just read this. This is Jesus speaking. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The miracle of miracles, the new life, the born again that we talked about, is that God, God puts his finger on your sin, and instead of going back and receding like a cockroach, back into the darkness where you feel safe, you stand your ground and you say, yes, Lord, will you help me? That's what, that is the mark of life. That is new life. When God does something and now you're, you're, you're stopped in your tracks and you repent. Repentance is no virtue. Repentance is that I'm going this way and now I'm going this way. That's all repentance is. Repentance is I'm not trusting myself to sin because I'm a terrible savior and I recognize that. You are a wonderful savior and I recognize that. I turn to you. Will you help me? I believe, help my unbelief. That's, what, that's a repenter. That's what a repenter is. And this lady was stopped. Now you're going to see what this lady becomes. So she stops in her tracks and she turns around and goes the other way. And that's why that I can say this lady will be in glory and I'm thinking possibly Nicodemus may. Do you, do you see the difference? Nicodemus who should have been ready for him. We want to, because we like Nicodemus, we want him to be in heaven with us. So we like, oh, there's evidence. But this lady is showing, what did John the Baptist say? Give me fruit, meat for repentance. You want to repent? Show me. Show me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me. Just tell me. Just do it and show me with your life. And everybody in the world will know that you were going this way, now you're going this way. It's obvious. Live it. See, Jesus sees behind our mask. But the same one who sees behind your mask is the same one who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So here's this lady. This is verse 19. The woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. I, this makes me laugh. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What do you do? Would it take the Son of God to look kindly at that lady and not just go, that's what I would have done. I'm just like, are you serious? Are you serious? It, got, it would have taken God himself to just look and just go, as though, okay, honey, all right, honey, keep going. The woman said, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, if she would have stopped, I would have given her some more credit. But immediately, she just wants to change the subject. She doesn't want to talk about what needs to be talked about. She doesn't want to talk about the gorilla in the room. And nobody wants to talk about the gorilla. Everyone wants to talk about everything else. And it's hilarious that... If I see the gorilla and I'm looking at you, I know you see the gorilla, but I'm not going to mention it. And if you don't mention it, I'll never mention it. It'll just sit there. And nobody, no, no one claims it. Her comment is curious. She would rather talk about the rivalry, the rivalry of Samaritan worship and Jewish worship, both of which are rejected by God, by the way. Okay, both of them. It's not like one's right and one's wrong. They're both wrong. They're both wrong and both rejected and both damnable and both will go to hell. 
And if Jesus does not intervene in your life, your religion doesn't help you at all. Okay? It, because your religion, a human religion, is trying really hard to make God do something. You want God to be peace, so you do something, and then God does something, and it's you do. It's the pop machine. You put the nickel in. God's not a pop machine. It doesn't work that way. You appeal to God the way God is to be appealed to, knowing who he is, and his mercy, because he's loving kindness, exudes over him all the time, will come to you. You can be assured of your salvation. You can know it. You don't have to worry. You can rest and know that God's got you. You can know it. There can be a time when you're, you're settled. Sally Reeder said, I've never thought of my sins in years. That's what she said. And she looked, at, she looked at me as I said, isn't it good that your sins are gone? And she said, and she marveled. It was her face. She said, I have not thought of my sins in years. They're gone. That is what, what a comment to make five days before you're passing. I've never thought of my sins in years. That's God's blessing on his people. God doesn't want you to cower. God does not want you to cringe. God loves you. But you need to be brought back to him. You need to be reconciled to God. And Jesus is the reconciler to God. And when he is the one, Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross for this woman. He knows. And she just like, well, let's talk about the rival. Let's talk about theology. He's like, no, let's not. Because Jesus immediately just cuts it right back to the quick. Or what about what's proper worship? Jesus just goes smack and says, says, first of all, you almost have to say, Jesus is never unkind. Jesus is never unkind. Jesus is never unkind. Because what's the first thing that Jesus said? Woman, believe me, the hour has come that neither you in this mountain nor the Father uh, 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 worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. That's what he said. You worship what you have the slightest idea of what you're worshiping. You're absolutely crazy. Then he says, we worship, now he's speaking as a Jew, we worship what we do know. For salvation comes from the Jews. And then all the Jews are like, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> and then Jesus is like, I already talked to you. I already talked to you already. Okay? You haven't even done what I told you yet either. The whole idea of like, yeah, 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 is like God is on our side. Okay? I used to work for a Christian school, and we would pray that our team would win the Christian championship. And I thought, how does that work? Like, all the Christian schools are playing each other, and we're like, oh, God, will you? Like, what does that mean? So, so the idea that, that, that she's like, let's talk about forms of worship. And Jesus said, no, let's not. Let's not talk about that. Because you don't even know what you're talking about. Now, bang. Like, it is possible that the Jews were right about certain things and that the Samaritans were not right about certain things. Is it possible that in our world, everybody is, is, they're valid, every point is valid? That I can have a point and you can have a point and my, my point is no worse than your point? Is it possible that, that truth exists? Now, from this pulpit, I'm going to tell you truth exists. I'm going to tell you that there is truth and that some people are aligned with that truth to a certain degree and other people are not to a certain degree. And that you cannot have my truth and your truth. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. 
There's no my truth and your truth. And what's good for me and what's good for you, and, and I'm just as valid as you, and you must listen to me, you must applaud me, you must, you must, we don't have, no. The truth means that something that is outside of me is true. There is veracity to it, it's valid. And whatever God said will be seen as true. And to whatever degree that I claim that up is down and back is front, well, first of all, even the people who are listening to me say it know it's ridiculous. Okay, they may keep their mouth shut now because that's what we do now. We keep our mouth shut now. But back is not front and up is not down. In is not out. And bad is not good. So as we, as we play in that, in this, in this society that we live in, you have to realize that there are philosophers who would love to say there is no such truth, that it's my truth or your truth, and that, that all it's just an abstraction. No, the Samaritans were wrong. You don't even know what you're worshiping. You don't even know God because you're so warped and you're, you're so compromised, you don't even know who God is. Do you see, Jesus doesn't stop with the Jews are right. What does, what's the next thing? It says, but... Verse 23, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Not in this mountain, not in Jerusalem. Remember, she's on Mount Gerizim, where Sanballat, the guy who, who was trying to stop Nehemiah from building the wall, built a temple to rival the temple in Jerusalem so that all the people in Samaria would, would recognize that they had a temple. And for 200 years, that poor woman was taught, no, 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 we worship the real God here. This is where, this is Mount Gerizim. This is where you worship the mountain. But those Jews down, those heretical Jews, they're the ones who are really doing wrong. God hates their guts. And they said you have to worship in Jerusalem. And she pulls that out, and, and Jesus is like, oh, wait a second. You don't even know what you're talking about. And, but the hour is now, is come, that people are not going to worship God here or there. It's not going to be at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus tells them that they're, you're going to pull, they're going to pull every stone down from every stone. There's not going to be one stone upon another. And it happened. It happened just within a generation after his crucifixion. That temple was gone and has never been back. There is a mosque on the Temple Mount right now. There's a mosque and has been since 600 A.D., so he said, he said there, will be a part, there will be a time and it's coming right now. This is the right now because he just said, I am that speaking to you am he. That's what he just said. The time is now coming where the father who wants worshipers will have this type of worshiper. So he didn't, Jesus didn't come to nullify the promises to the Jews. He came to fulfill the promises to the Jews. He is the fulfillment of all things. So as she says, she changes the subject again. Again, she said, well, when the Messiah comes, who if I've heard is coming, he'll explain all things to us. Remember, that's amazing. Why would she appeal to the Messiah? She doesn't even, she doesn't even belong to the religion who's looking for the Messiah. So, so don't, appeal to, don't appeal to Jesus as, as Messiah. The Messiah is for the Jewish people who I'm not one of. So you had the blind man, oh, David, son of David, have mercy on me. And he goes and he heals his blindness because he was a son of Abraham. Then you have the, the Phoenician woman who, who claims that, oh, oh, son of David, will you help? And he goes, why would I give the, food, the children's food to the dogs? 
This is Jesus who said that to her. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And he said, oh, not seeing faith like that in all of Israel, your daughter's healed. You see, she appealed to him as the Jewish Messiah, and she had no bearing on the Jewish Messiah. You have to come to Jesus as Savior of the world, and he will accept you. And he just said, the one who speaks to you is me, and I am the one you're looking for. He's the one you're looking for. He's the one I'm looking for. Let's just hold on. Hold on tight. You can trust God through Jesus Christ this moment. You can trust God through Jesus Christ for every moment of eternity. Let's do that. I'll do that. Let's do that. Father in heaven, we beg your pardon in Jesus Christ. And we claim the promise that you have given us that our sins are forgiven and that you have put, taken us from the darkness into the light. Will you help us to stop working in the darkness? Will you give us grace that we might obey you with joy and trembling with our mirth, that we would, we would live lives that would affect others, that we would bring you honor and glory this day and for the rest of our lives? I thank you for your people who tremble under your word. I thank you that you have visited us with grace and that we've looked into the face of our Savior and are satisfied. I pray for those who are not yours, that you would have mercy and grace on them and that they would, they would come to the end of themselves and ask that, that you would do great things among us, that your spirit would have full sway among us. Your people, we are your people and we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.